The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This week on your favorite soap opera, it's time to talk about all the daytime drama on Soap Central Live with Dan J. Kroll. Get ready for the latest soap news, scoops, and recaps. Now, here's Dan. Hey, soap fans. Welcome to another edition of Soap Central Live. I'm your host, Dan Kroll. It is Friday, September 6th. And this is our first show of September 2013. For the next hour, we are going to be talking about anything and everything soap. It is what we do here every week, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Talk radio network. If you're like me, you may have seen me say this on Twitter more than one occasion. I'm a big fan of the summer. So if you're like me, you're probably no doubt a bit bummed that we've reached the unofficial end of the summer. But I've managed to find a silver lining in there. And believe me, I definitely had to look for this one. But now that fall is almost here, we can finally talk about the big fall stories that are coming up on all of our favorite soaps. Richard Sims, the executive editor of Soaps in Depth magazine, will be here in just a couple of moments with a preview. We'll also be discussing One Life to Live, the lawsuit, the hiatus, the return, hopefully, fingers crossed. Plus, file this one under the you never know who's listening category. Coming up later in the show, former soap writer Karen Harris will be here to talk about her new project that she hopes to take to Broadway and how you can help make that happen. As always, Soap Central Live is an interactive show. We enjoy talking to you and encourage you to be a part of the show. If you want to weigh in on what you'd like to see happen on your favorite soap this fall, or if you have comments about One Life to Live, give us a call on our toll-free call-in line. It's 866-472-5788. Again, 866-472-5788. If for some reason you cannot make it to the phone, or maybe your phone service is on a little hiatus, you can also, sorry, that tickled me, uh, you can also share your comments and questions on Twitter at Soap Central. We've also started a comment thread on our official Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Soap Central. You can join us because we are going to be starting the discussion right now. We have a friend of the show, the yin to my yang or the Bonnie to my Clyde. I'm not entirely sure what the appropriate analogy or comparison or whatever would be. But we're going to bring on the executive editor of Soaps in Depth magazine, Richard Sims. Richard, welcome back to uh, uh, welcome back to what should be a mermaid-free show. I like to think of myself as the candy to your crush. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to play Candy Crush, Richard. I'm sorry. You can you can try as hard as you want to get me to be a part of this. I'm I'm gonna stick to whatever it is that I I play. You know, weird you PlayStation games. Sooner or later, you'll give in. You will. 
I, I'm you see that just makes me even more persistent <laughs> and, and stubborn. That even if I had any desire, the fact that you're telling me that I'm going to tune in and play this game makes me say, you know what? I'm going to ban the words Candy Crush from my computer. Oh, <gasps> I. I can't talk about this anymore. I'm reclamped. Maybe we should talk about soaps. <laughs> Let's talk about soaps then, because I'm sad summer's over. I don't know how many other people are summer lovers or if they're waiting for fall and winter to come along. But as I said in the little introduction, the good thing about it is that it means there are going to be some big fall storylines coming up on all of our soaps. Well, at least five of the six that we have been talking about. We'll talk about that six soap coming up, but... Let's start alphabetically. I think that might be the way to go. Uh, a show that seems to have caught a lot of energy again, and it's back with a, a rip-roaring year since uh, early this spring, The Bold and the Beautiful. Richard, what are some of the things that you are looking forward to on B&B coming up this fall? You know, B&B has become such a great classic soap over the last year or so, and it, it has been for many years, but it went through that period. You know, we've talked about it before, the the, the Liam Hope Steffi period where that's all it was. I think what I'm really looking forward to right now is sort of the blending of the new, sort of the extension of the Spencer clan with Wyatt and his mom Quinn into the existing canvas. Um, you know, she's going to kind of um, hook up both business and professionally, professional wise with Forrester. And, of course, you know, Wyatt has this weird relationship with Bill right now. Mm -hmm. Wyatt is so much like his dad that they inevitably clash on every level. But the real level there that I'm interested in is, of course, that Wyatt is so much fun with Hope. He makes her laugh. He brings out her lighter side. You know, she's been so drama, drama, drama for the last two years, really, that I love seeing what he brings out in her. And I like Liam being the being sort of, you know, made to, to to actually pick a horse in this race that he's sort of just walked through this entire time. So I think there's so many things going on on that show that I'm really psyched about. Plus Brooke and Bill, you know, they... I know there are a lot of people who have issues with Brooke and Bill, and I'm not saying that they're like some great classic romance but they do make well, that's sense good, to me because, they, because they they're not make, but they do make sense to me Brooke and Bill are both very very selfish people they're both mm. driven by their passions they're both impulsive they're both you know like like these are two people who it's almost it, it's it's been almost inevitable from the beginning that they would get together because that's just it's so completely makes sense I know they say opposites attract but let's face it you know, likes attract as well. You know, you find somebody who is like you or you make somebody like you. And and she does, they don't have to make each other become like the other. They are one another. She is the, she is the male him and he is the female her, uh, vice versa. Strike that, reverse it. <laughs> I was going to say that Bold and the Beautiful has suddenly taken on a, a very interesting story. If, uh, uh, that's if me. That really... <laughs> uh, one thing that I want to ask about, because when you've been on the show and we've taken callers before, in the past there was a triangle known as Hope, Liam, and Steffi that B&B people didn't really seem to enjoy as it went on into its second, third, fourth, 20th year. <laughs> what about the Hope, Liam, Wyatt uh, a triplet is different to the other storyline uh, for people who are thinking, oh, I don't want to invest in this because it's going to be something that drives me nuts. 
Well, first of all, it's funny because people always say that. People say, you know, ugh, people got really tired of the Hope Williamson, but the ratings went up. You know, people may it's have true. complained about it, but the ratings continuously went up. So we may have, a lot of people may have gotten tired of it, but at the same time, they were still tuning <laughs> into it. Um, and I think what makes it different is I think the audience really likes seeing, and we don't see a lot of this, usually soap triangles are a man and two women. That's, you know, that's kind of almost the norm. And I think after having watched Hope sit on sort of the sidelines while Liam bounced back and forth between her and Steffi, I think the audience really, really, really likes seeing Hope be in the power position. You know, let Liam see what it's like to have someone else, you know, interested in the the woman that he's interested in. I think that's, I think there's, Something really, I think they very smartly have tapped into something that the audience needed to see. They needed to see things from the other perspective and let hopes and let, and kind of the audience and Liam get to see just how much of a jerk he was to her by putting, by, by sort of reversing the situation. Well, tapping into something that the audience wants to see is the key to any successful soap. And another soap that seems to have been doing it quite well lately is Days of Our Lives. And this fall, in you know true soap fashion, there's going to be a big event. Something, surprise, not so good is going to happen at said event. So that's going to be something that's a lot of fun to watch on Days of Our Lives. What other things do you think that you are looking forward to, but not necessarily you. What do you think fans are going to like? Well, definitely, you know, the hot story as we move toward the end of the year is is very much the Marlena trying to bring down Kristen without really realizing that in doing so, she's going to, you know, set in motion a chain of events that could destroy one of her, you know, that could destroy, she's trying to save Brady, but she could end up destroying Eric as a result. And, of course, this is all leading up to Eileen Davidson's exit, sadly, um, because I think she's been such a a major presence on the show. What's really interesting to me about Days of Our Lives is they are not doing anything particularly revolutionary. You know, you look at the various stories going on, and it's not a show that, you know, on Friday their cliffhanger is going to surprise you. It's, It's very, very, very standard, almost, dare I say, cliched soap. And yet it is wildly compelling because what they're doing is they're proving if something's broken, if something's not broken, don't fix it. And the soap Mm -hmm. genre, you know, the problem that the soap genre I think has had over the last, you know, 10 years or so is that people keep trying to reinvent it. It doesn't need to be reinvented and Days of Our Lives is proving that. They've gotten back to really good, solid storytelling. They're telling the kind of stories that, you know, that, Obviously, the audience wants to see, and like Bold and the Beautiful, they're they're getting, seeing some payoff in the ratings. I guess you don't always need to have some sort of CGI spectacular and huge drama. As long as there's a decent story, maybe those things don't need to be there. And maybe, in fact, having all those big special events mask telling of the story. You know, I would agree. And one of one of the things that I was really happy to see, um, it's sort of a branch of a spinoff of daytime, if, if you've been looking at all at how Tyler Perry's The Have and Have Nots has been doing on, on the Oprah Winfrey Network, I am obsessed with that show. I mean, it <laughs> it is... Pick the slowest moving soap opera you can think of at any point in history and then slow it down. And oh that gosh. is The Haves and Have Nots. And yet, 
it is wildly compelling because the dialogue and the, the relationship, there's some really bad acting on it, I will not lie. Um, there are a few actors on that show who are just abysmal. And yet the show is really, 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 you know, it's telling very standard stories, nothing outrageous. It's a rich family. You know, the, the, the guy who's running for office is sleeping with a hooker. Uh, you know, just very, very, but at the same time, it's the most watched show in the Oprah Winfrey Network's history. 2.6 million people tuned in for the season finale this week. They just ordered a bunch of new episodes. And, and again, it shows the same thing that Days of Our Lives does, which is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Give people what they want, compelling relationships, and they will tune in in droves. Compelling relationships, though, are going to be something that General Hospital talks about this fall. We have the death of one character, Connie. We, you and I were, were tweeting the show today with some very interesting thoughts. We have the return of another favorite, Kimberly McCullough as Robin. And then we have romance. We saw Silas and Sam in that smooch that people loved. There are some other couples and other things that are going on. Of those stories, or maybe something that I didn't mention, what's going to be General Hospital's, I was going to say money shot, hopefully that's not the term I want, but what's going, to, <laughs> what's going to have fans sticking, oh God, it gets worse, sticking to the tube this fall? Let me just, uh, sticking to the tube, okay, let me jump in here before it gets any worse. Thanks. Um, you know, General Hospital right now is operating under a philosophy that they want something to happen every day. Um, now, I find that a lot of the show, you know, you get a lot of exposition and, and a lot of what actually happens is in the last five minutes, but really every day something happens. And that's going to be even more true as we move forward. Um, there's, there's several returns, um, some of which people know about, like we all know about Kimberly McCullough's return. The big question is how long will she be on the canvas and how will that impact things? Uh, there's also the new guy for Sabrina coming, but there's, there's other characters coming as well. Some new, some, uh, some familiar that they're keeping under wraps the same way they kept Connie's return today under wraps. You know, they really did a good job of, of not, most people did not know that, that, Sonny would be seeing Connie, and I have to say that was really beautiful stuff at the end of the episode today. I mean, I was, I was not, I'm not lying, I was in tears. Also, really? keep in mind, oh yeah, oh I my thought I, when Sonny and Connie were saying goodbye, yeah, it really got to me. I have a heart, you forget. I'm not like you. I have a heart. I know everybody <laughs> thinks I'm a mean curmudgeon, but really, I'm not. But here's the thing: keep this in mind as we move forward. Okay. Halloween, Ron Carlovati loves Halloween. So, and we have a lot of, if you remember last year, they had some fun with Halloween because they had like AJ coming back dead mm-hmm. using that scary costume. And, you know, there were, there were, we've got a lot of villains on the canvas right now. So Halloween sh- promises to be really, really, really interesting. We also have um, Britt's about to have her baby. There's uh, the other baby on the canvas, the Maxi Spinelli baby, that they're keeping, you know, they're trying to keep under wrap that they're the real parents. A lot going on there. And we're going to see the thing that I'm most interested in on the canvas right now. I am a huge fan of Ava. I think Maura West is, like, embodying this 1930s kind of Rita Hayworth bad girl. Agreed. Big. Big stuff is going to be coming up with Ava and uh, uh, Derek slash Julian and Sonny, and uh, and it's going to really impact Sonny's whole family. There's going to be a really, in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see a very unexpected couple sleep together. 
Uh, you're going to see um, a very an, an act of violence, um, which in the old days that wouldn't have been such a big surprise because Port Charles was you know pretty much known for acts of violence every other day. But now that's becoming a much bigger thing. The war with the Jerome clan is really going to heat up. It's going to become you know they're going to step up their game, but they're not going to play by the standard mafia rules. They're not just going to play you know like like with with we're going to threaten you and we're going to, they're going to play dirty and they're going to play personal. And that's what's really going to make this interesting. Plus we're going to see Anna and Duke, especially Duke. And I know people that really have really been wanting this. We're going to see Duke become much more involved in this story in a really, really, really kind of cool and interesting way. Well, right now we're going to get involved in a really cool and interesting way with one of our callers from South Carolina who wants to talk about General Hospital. We have Denise on the line. Denise, welcome to Soap Central Live. Hi, guys. How you doing? We're doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm good. So you want to talk about General Hospital. Is there something that Richard was talking about coming up in the fall that most got you interested well, I actually want to talk about both the pregnancy storylines, Brits and Maxie's. Um, I kind of have a question and a theory. Um, I I think that Brits' baby is Dante and Lulu's because I mean, there's no really much of a storyline if it, if it was just Patrick's or they're saying it's Brad's and now. We all know that's not true. But I have a feeling that this both baby storylines are going to connect to Luke's storyline somehow. I don't. I don't. That's just my that's just my opinion. I don't know if that's going to be true. But I was just wondering. When, are we, when, are we, when is everyone on the show, the characters, going to find out, you know, the two parentage are both babies, and uh, will they eventually go back to the right parents? Because I know they dragged out Sam and Danny for like six months when he's like six months old, so hopefully we're not going to have to wait that, that long to find out and who the babies really belong to. That's so a good question from Denise. It's a, it's a very good question. And, you know, I, I would think November sweeps isn't all that far away, so maybe things will play out then. But, Richard, what do you think? Is this something that would be best resolved quickly, or do you think it would be more interesting to the viewers, even if they grumble and complain, that it's sort of tucked away and hidden and revisited at a much later date? It always cracks me up. Um Fans are always in such a hurry for the truth to come out when really, you know, yes, that means that, that, you know, couples get their happy ending or whatever, but that kind of means the end of the drama as well. I'm a big fan of lots and lots of, you know, get them right to the brink of thinking they're about to get it and then boom, take it away. Uh, with from the day, almost from the day that Britt announced that she was pregnant, People came up with that same theory that, you know, that this would, that she had stolen the extra embryos or whatever that Dante and Lulu had on ice and, and, you know, she used that to impregnate herself. And I have to admit, fans came to that, fans came up with that way before I did. I didn't even put that together. And, you know, and it does make sense. It does seem like a great option because then Dante and Lulu still get a baby. You know, what do you do with Maxie and Spinelli? I think that's, I think that's all really, really intriguing. I don't necessarily want to see it play out too quickly because, like I said, I'm a fan of, of big storylines. But I will say this. Fans often come very close to figuring things out, and they're all convinced they know. And here's a great example. <laughs> when, Danny came, when Danny came down with um, leukemia, and then they introduced Franco, and we all knew that Franco, you know, they brought Franco back, and we all knew that Franco was Jason's brother. Every fan on Twitter 
was apoplectic. Oh, we all know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to redeem Franco by letting him save, you know, be, be a, um, a, a, bone dar- a bone marrow donor match, and he'll save Danny, and how can we hate him if he does that? And then what did General Hospital do? They, t- they twisted it. They said, yeah. well, yeah, he could be, except he has, you know, this, this cancer that makes him not eligible to be a donor, and then instead they brought on Sam's father, and he was the, the donor. So while I think that the theory is a really, really good one, I would be surprised if it turns out to be that simple. Nothing is ever simple on a soap, and I guess The Young and the Restless could be in that category for a completely different reason. There are stories that are written. We know that they have unofficially replaced their head writer, so things may be shaken up as we move forward. But in the interim, with what we know that is already taped, what are some of the things that young The Restless fans should be excited about? Because we've heard from some that they haven't necessarily been thrilled with the show over the past couple of months. If by some you mean me, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Here's the thing. Y&R has some of the best dialogue writers in the business. And that's, that's actually true of, I, I've got to say, I think all four of the soaps right now, what really I am highest on on all of them is the dialogue writers. Even when the stories are not particularly Very good, true. even when it's characters you don't like, all four of the shows have phenomenal dialogue writers. And it's always disappointing when you get a day where it's not one of those great dialogue writers. You're like, oh, you know, this is okay, but I really wish it was one of the other dialogue writers because some of them just sparkle. Y&R is in such a state of transition right now. And the interesting thing will be, you know, they didn't really make that big a change. Assuming that everything that, you know, that well, we all know it's true. They're just not confirming it. But, but you know, Gene Basante was already head writing with Josh Griffith, so it's not like this is some massive change and they brought in, right. you know, you know a, a completely new writer with a completely new perspective. Um, my fear is that they are not going to make enough of a change. I, 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 there are things on Weiner. There is, Weiner has excellent actors, great script writers, but the, but the majority of the stories have really hit hard times. I mean, the, the, Probably the best story of 2013, not just on Y&R, but on almost any show, was the problems in and the falling apart of Lauren and Michael's marriage. That was stunning soap opera, completely fantastic. And yet it devolved into, you know, let's take Carmine, one of the most interesting characters that, you know, they were so much potential with him, and they turned him into a psycho. And now it looks as if, well, we've dealt with the psycho, and so our marriage is fixed. And I hope that they don't do that. I really hope they don't just give Michael and Lauren's marriage a magic cure because it's a great, there's so much potential for good story there. Now, what we have coming up is we have the wedding of Nick and Avery um, is rapidly approaching and whether or not, you know, Sharon's little plan or something else might interfere with that. The other big story coming up is also within the Newman clan. And that involves the battle for sort of, the control of, you know, Victor now knows that Jack was the secret investor. Um, the, the, the future of Newman Enterprises is going to be on the line, and there's going to be a lot of manipulations and a lot of games being played around that. You know, YNR loves to do, you know, who's going to be in control of Newman kind of thing. And it's going to look like Jack has the upper hand, but let's remember, Jack's history is 
he climbs to the top of the mountain and then falls off of it or gets pushed off of it. Jack never, never, never catches a break. So it'll be interesting to see, can he catch a break this time? At the same time, we're going to see, um, as Victor is so busy on the personal front, Nikki's going to be dealing with her own, you know, the, the ramifications of the letter that was left for her mm-hmm. by Catherine. And yes, um, you know, that's, that's going to send her uh, away for a little while, not off canvas, but she is going to be going on a little trip and she'll be taking it with Paul. And let's not forget, Paul and Nikki have a history. So that could be interesting, you know, if, if while Victor's all being businessman, Nikki winds up leaning on Paul during this time of crisis. So that, oh, that I think is really interesting stuff. Boy. Well, you mentioned the, in sort of in passing, the f- memorial service to Catherine. We have David from New York who wants to weigh in briefly about what he thought of the memorial service. David, welcome to Subcentral Live. Oh, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Richard. Well, thank you for um, calling in. I, I want to know, what were your thoughts? What did you think of the memorial service for Catherine Chancellor? Uh, it was uh, it was very nice, but it lacked a couple of things. What do you? What was the biggest thing that you thought it lacked? Mackenzie. That's a good point. Do you think that it was in? But ahead, in Richard. fairness. In fairness, they made reference to Mackenzie in a way that I found very interesting. They mentioned that Mackenzie had called and said she had personal issues that would prevent her from attending the service. And that sort of struck something in the back of my head and said, hmm, it's not like they just said, you know, Mackenzie's flight was delayed or something. They said she's having some kind of personal issue. And that made me think, are they setting in motion for Mackenzie to, to, you know, to be coming on the canvas later. Because they really, I thought it was odd that Philip wasn't there. That was the one that was really weird to me. You know, why was, why was Philip not there? And you said yep. you had one other thing, uh, David. Yep. What was the other thing that you thought were was missing? Philip was the other one. Well, I want to thank you for calling in and talking about that. We have to get on and, and talk about two other soaps, but I want to thank you for your call. All right, Richard, we are, I'm watching the clock here. We still have to talk about One Life to Live, but let's move briefly and talk about All My Children since we've learned that they're working on scripts for a second season of AMC. Hopefully we'll go into production sometime next month. And we were teased at the end of the, the first season finale with some things that may be happening. Will David find out that Oliver is his son? Is Tad going to return to Pine Valley? Uh, I'm calling him Count Andressi instead of Andrasi. Uh, will Dimitri <laughs> try to bed Brooke? Uh, you know, Jesse and Angie are in trouble. Not knowing what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. Of those things, which are you most inter- interested to see how it will play out when season two of AMC comes back? Well, honestly, the story that I've been most interested in with all my children and still continue to be the most interested in has been Cassandra's story. You know, I want to continue seeing Cassandra's journey as she recovers from this horrific, horrific thing that happened to her. But I think what's what I'm more interested in at the moment is getting your thoughts on sort of all my children's first season and um, and what you would like to see. Not necessarily what you think will happen, but what you would like to see happen, you know, as as it moves into season two. Because, you know, All My Children is sort of your soap, so let's hear your thoughts on it. I don't answer questions on my show, but I will make an <laughs> exception this time. Um, more than anything, 
I'm just looking forward to a season two. I want it to happen. Uh, I, I mean, that may sound the Pollyanna as you always accuse me of being, but at this point in time, <laughs> I really don't care what happens as long as there's a season two. I want to see how it plays out. I really would like to see the popping in and popping out of characters that fans are familiar with. I think that we have a really good core. I think that the the writers made a really great decision to bring in the characters who they did, and you know, some of them were aged and some of them are new performers. But I think if there's a way to bring in characters from the televised, the, the ABC version that, you know, fans know, even if they're there short, t- uh, short term, it's really a great way to build story. It's a way to get people to tune back in and say, Hey, you know, look, Susan Lucci's coming back for a day. And then you, you get hooked on the stories. I think that all the things that I mentioned, I'm looking forward to seeing play out and see how they're going. I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's, Always something fascinating to me about Vincent Irizarry and his performance as David. I've never disliked David, even when he was a horrible, horrible person. But I know that with that, there's also the sort of uh, bittersweet factor that One Life to Live is not immediately returning to production, Richard. And I know that a lot of people are very upset about that. I would like to take the approach of, it hasn't been canceled. It hasn't been officially canceled. They haven't said it's not going to happen. Uh, I mean, maybe that's reading between the lines. But for me, I want, I- I'm looking forward to Prospect Park being able to take the time to focus on all my children, really put attention into one soap, making it happen, making it the best that it can be, figuring everything out, and then using that when this lawsuit goes away or they decide that they're tired of it to put that same knowledge and apply it to one life to live so that when it comes back it'll also pick up uh you know on the hit the ground running and be as good as we all want it to be well i'm clearly you know uh this is where i do become sort of you know the cynic um it's it's like a, an episode of Surprise. point counter point counterpoint and do I hope that you're right? Of course I do. Of course I do. You know, even when I was saying that I didn't think the shows would come back the first time, I always said with the caveat, oh my God, I hope I'm wrong. Um, in this case, you know, for me, this rings of another instance where it'd be great if Prospect Park sort of, I don't know, ran their ideas of how they were going to announce things by People who could judge, well, me, you, someone who could judge what the public reaction is going to be. Very much so. You know, I looked at this and I'm like, the the obvious thing to say here would have been, we have decided that we're going to do uh, rotational seasons. We're going to do a season of All My Children, Mm -hmm. then we're going to do a season of One Life to Live, then we'll do a season. That way, one of the shows is always Always in production and rotating. Instead, they went with... Um, the, the, basically the only thing that, that, that was said in that article, and this all came from a, a Los Angeles Times article, which was an incredibly odd article in that you didn't get to, it, you know, it was about 30 paragraphs in before they said, oh, by the way, one might live not coming back right now. <laughs> and the, the, the reason that they gave for that was the, was the lawsuit. They said until the lawsuit is settled. And fan reaction was pretty much immediate that that made no sense. Because ABC is not suing Prospect Park. Prospect Park is suing ABC. Prospect Park could drop that lawsuit tomorrow if that was the only thing standing in the way of them moving forward with this production. So on that level, it makes no sense. Plus, the lawsuit was in place before season one started. 
So why were they able to do season one with the lawsuit in place and not season two? If One Life to Live comes back, and again, I really hope it does, I personally would like to see, you know, some, some pretty big changes. I thought of the two, for me personally, One Life to Live was, it was, it was okay, but it wasn't like, All My Children was compelling. I loved All My Children right from the get-go. One Life to Live felt like a show that tried to build too much of itself around a gimmick, that gimmick being shelter. And it was sort of, for me, a really big mess. Nightclubs on soaps very rarely work well. And very certainly rarely. Not, and certainly not as vocal points, you know? Well, it's let me, have let me interrupt for just a sure. quick second. We have, uh, I made a promise to <laughs> one of our Two Scoops columnists that he could have a chance to come on here. He was supposed to write a column this week, but in wake of the news, he does not want to have to be the one to write two farewell columns to One Life to Live, just in case. He is known to everyone out there as our very uh, opinionated, <laughs> which is always a good thing when you're writing an opinion column, Michael, who will be talking about the first season of One Life to Live. Welcome aboard. Howdy. So I know that this was going to be the you know wrapping up the first season column. It was going to be a look back and a look yeah. forward to season two. And, well, you can still look forward to I season two if that's a plus. Listen, I don't even – the last time this happened, it's like, I'll stay on for the rest of the year. And we'll just – I feel obligated to stay on and see the show. And then somehow, by some sick confluence of events, I ended up doing – the last column, which was ridiculous. And then, now it's like, let me do a wrap-up column. That'd be nice. Let's give us fun. I'll do one <laughs> at the beginning and one at the end. And now it's, oh, well, maybe we're going off to a farm. We'll just, you know, it's, 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 like, it's like they, they tell kids that dogs are not dead. They're just, you know, he's going, he's going off to a farm to play with other dogs. That's what it's, 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 you know, I don't know if it's dead or not. Like, at this point, to be honest, at this point, I'm only going to believe that One Life to Live is off the air if they line the entire cast up against a wall and just shoot them. That's the only way I'm going to believe it. So, oh, like the final you're... episode, like the final episode of Capital. It's like soap. It's like the end of soap, except with the entire cast. It's say with Catherine Hellman. That sounds sort of uh, optimistic, since you're saying you refuse to completely believe that it's gone. So, no, you know, uh, well, I think I think I was listening a that, little bit. That may be I, the most that may be the most deadly optimism I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be. I mean, it's you know, I have I have no idea. I think the lawsuit excuse is crap. I think that's uh, that's just an excuse. I think it's either about money or it's about logistics or whatever. Uh, I really don't know. I have no idea whether they'll come back or not, uh, but at this point, I mean, I never—I certainly didn't think I'd be writing about it this year. Let me so. ask you this, and this, I'll ask Michael first, and Richard, you can also chime in and answer this. If the lawsuit is not the reason, okay, that's, you know, it's just an excuse. If it's legitimately the reason that One Life to Live had problems, we, you know, we heard sort of anecdotal evidence that uh, they thought they would have actors and characters and they didn't. And I will personally say that they could have chosen to recast those three characters in questions, but I'm telling you right now, most fans wouldn't have liked that either. That wouldn't have, that wouldn't have panned out. I mean, there was already so, 5,000 comments about why Destiny is a different actress, for God's sake. Absolutely. Who cares? Honestly, so the question then is the first season is done, there is a lawsuit, should... I mean, I realize that there's a money aspect of it, but should Prospect Park just say, you know what, keeping this lawsuit open 
is sort of like keeping the wound from healing? Should we just drop it, focus our attention, move on, or is that me just being too, whatever, too optimistic? No, and, and well, I, I think I think the biggest problem with those lawsuits, at least online, is it just keeps this whole weird factionalism thing going between those two shows, which I think is a shame, because I love General Hospital. I think those guys single-handedly saved General Hospital. I remember doing that one radio show, like, right before we finished in the uh, beginning of 2012. I was like, General Hospital, God, it's never coming back. And then, of course, they took over the show, and they, I think they, I feel they single-handedly saved that show. Uh, oh, I think I'm, I'm no. No. I'm sorry, go ahead. No. he's being he's giving you a hard time so okay so you know we've got that issue but i mean down to it should they just drop the lawsuit is i mean do you think think, that's the easy i I thought that's that's ever going to see the inside of any kind of courtroom they they should just settle it and honestly i mean i think i'm sure i think there's probably i'm not going to get into that whole thing but i think there's a fair amount of finger pointing to do on either side. I think it's, I don't think recasting those characters, at least not, certainly not the two male leads, uh, Michael Easton and Roger Howard, for example. We all, we all saw what happened when they recast, uh, Todd, and I don't think that there's a third triplet anywhere. I don't think you can pull that off. Uh, I think that they should settle it, and I think they should do whatever they can in terms of, if they do have a second season, to focus the show the way All My Children did, which I think All My Children had an absolutely fantastic return. I never thought it would look like that again. I think it's the best it's been since I was very young. I started watching in, like, 93, and I think it's a lot better now than it's been in a long time. And they did that. They had to work around some people, but they were able to work around, you know. I mean, Dixie's engaged to Todd, and Brooke is engaged to Adam, and I don't know what's going on with David Canary. But they were able to do stories around these people. And there's every reason you can do stories around these characters in question on One Life to Live. And certainly, they seem to be moving towards that uh, at the end of that season, where it's like, oh, look, Corbin Blue is an evil... Uh, tattoo person or whatever. That's an interesting angle. He's a great actor. You can do something with that. You can you can tell stories of these people without having to be about, you know, this axis of these characters. And for God's sake, don't let them all just hang out in that hotel room. I swear to God, if I ever see that hotel room again, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> every day. It's like every couple of days, you'd have like two seconds of Roger Howard in that hotel room talking to people about a dead body. Let's talk more about this dead body who no, who no one's going to see. Let's talk more about how we're going to fake Victor's death off screen. And then we're going to go do it off screen, and we're going to come back here and talk for two minutes. It's ridiculous. I'm kind of regretting that you're not putting this energy into writing the column, but... Oh, I can't, Michael. because what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Hey, we'll come back, you know, maybe. See you later. I can't stop the last one. Shortest column ever. But, Michael, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to come and chat about that, and hopefully when we have some good information, you'll be able to come back, write a regular column, write a, a preview column, and we'll we'll carry well, on I'll, as though I'll nothing come, happened. I'll come back and write whatever I have to write. But it's like, I mean, I, I personally, I enjoyed having... It was it was fun watching you know three shows on a block again. I think there was a different flavor to each of them. I think One Life to Live had a very rocky time for a lot of the reasons some of you mentioned, uh, but I enjoyed a lot of it. I think Kelly Missile uh, is definitely a star, and uh, you know at this point I've learned never to say never with One Life to Live. I did it before, and I have no idea at this point. But if I, if, it, if that's it, you know, I was happy to see it again. Well, again, thank you so much for calling, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show. We'll have you back on the column, and, and we'll, none of this has ever happened. We'll just carry on like that's happened. Or I'll just drink a lot when we get the final news, <laughs> and then I'll write the column. That's what will happen. 
That'll work too. So, all right. Every- all right, everybody. We are going to wrap up this bit of our segment with Richard Sims. And thank you, first of all, for all of the wonderful previews. I'm going to give you one last comment on One Life to Live, Richard. What do you think the odds are, if you were, say, a betting man, that the show will come back? Oh, boy, I've bet on this before and lost. Um, I know that's why I it's so don't, much fun. I don't think the odds are good. I mean, the longer that goes on, you know, the actors move on and find other commitments. And let's, you know, let's face it. If, if you're going to say that one of your problems was that, you know, you lost these three big actors, is that situation going to get any better if the other actor, actors move on? Uh, no. Uh, it, you know, there's only so long that you can keep the sets, the stores, the, the, the crew, the everything. So I really, I hope, again, hope I'm wrong, but, I am not, you know, I'm not really very optimistic, sadly. I'm, I'm not, you know, and, and I think truthfully, I think it has nothing to do with the, the, the lawsuit or anything like that. I think One Life to Live was a, was a show with problems. It had big problems. Um, and I don't think it has anything to do with whether or not they had those three actors. It, it, it had to do with flaws in the basic way they relaunched the show as far as storylines and things. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer that no show survives on an actor or a group of actors. I look at, you know, The Young and the Restless years ago revolved around the Brookses and the uh, Fosters. And of all of those two families, only one character still is around, and that's Jill. And nobody thinks of her as, you know, Jill Foster anymore. So, so losing characters does not kill a show. Uh, there are, there are, there are other problems that are a little bit deeper and more, you know, troublesome, I think, at hand. Well, one thing that I want to comment on before I let you go is that for me, and for those of you out there who, uh, you know, are, are going to take this and run, please listen to my entire comment before you get crazy. <laughs> 18 years ago, when I started SoapCentral.com, it was something that was unheard of. It was something that people told me it couldn't be done. You know, they didn't understand the internet wasn't going to be a place where people would want to go and read information. So I understand what Prospect Park is dealing with, with trying to sort of reinvent the way that people are watching soaps. Again, I am not saying that their multi-million, billion-dollar process is anything like what I did when I started the website. But I do understand the challenges. I do understand being reactionary and coming up with ways that you think will fix a problem before it gets worse. And by doing that, making the matter worse than what would have been if maybe you stayed the course. So... Well, I, know you I, don't, I, I know you don't like to ask questions, but let me ask a quick one. Sure. Do you think they would have been? Do you think it would have been perhaps smarter on their part to launch one of the shows first? You I know, do. I do, and, and, I think and instead of both at the same time. I absolutely do, and I think that's why I'm, I'm optimistic that maybe by just focusing on all my children, it'll give them a chance to, to really think things out. Because even the way that the stories were recorded, you know, when they cut down to two episodes per week, it really ruined the flow that the writers had originally intended. Because now something that was playing over the course of four days was now stretched over two weeks, and I think that all of that lumped together, that reactionary move, uh, I think hurt some of the momentum by not ha- allowing these shows to play out the way that they wanted to. And one of the other things that always hurts uh, momentum is when you're out of time for a segment and have to move on. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's where we are. So, Richard, I want to thank you so much for, again, coming by to chat with me. 
Always. You know, I absolutely love it. Um, any, any, anytime you know that. Guys, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you. And we are going to transition slightly because everybody, we know that we usually typically feature the on-screen talents here on Soap Central Live, but it's always a pleasure to be able to bring on some of the soap forces from behind the scenes. My next guest is best known for, among other things, writing General Hospital Sunny Corinthos. However, what you may not know about Karen Harris is that she also writes messages to me telling me when I should go to bed. She's here today to talk about Part of the Plan, a new American musical featuring the music of Dan Fogelberg. Karen, welcome to Subcentral Live. Hi, thank you. Listen, it's this maternal instinct I have. It's like, why are you up so late? You shouldn't be up this late. Go to sleep. You need to be fresh for tomorrow. So, why were you up so late? Well, it's, I'm on California time, and I'm and I'm working my tail off trying to get my Kickstarter campaign. Uh, Seeing it through to the final stretch, so which I'll tell you about in a minute. I, I know that we are we're limited on our time, and we're going to talk about a lot of your your inner soaping in more detail in a future show. But just as a, a quick brief bio for people who are saying, I know that name. What is she? What is her soap connection? Can you give everybody a little brief rundown mm-hmm. of some of the shows that you've been a part of? I can. I was. I came from prime time in the mid '90s. Wendy Rich brought me over to General Hospital. I worked under the divine Claire Labine. Um, and was in, very involved in the Sonny Brenda story and the B.J. Heart transplant and the Stone Summer of AIDS and uh, just some of the, the greatest stories. Um, I became, when Claire left, uh, I became Bob. Bob was brought on, Guza, and I became his co-head writer and did that for a year, and then he left for Sunset Beach, and I moved on to other pastures. In 2000, Wendy came to me and asked me if I'd come back to Port Charles. So I came into Port Charles as a head writer, and we tried to uh, steer that ship into more successful waters. We ended up, um, uh, it ended up with um, a new team of head writers doing all the the vampires and the witches and all that stuff. I did come back for a while and write, um, and write uh, 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 scripts. Sorry, and write scripts for them uh, until we got canceled. I went to All My Children as a scriptwriter for one year during the Bianca baby switch, and um, I get all the good stuff. And then I <laughs> came <really>. back <laughs> uh, uh, after a year. I, Bob brought me back onto General Hospital, and I stayed there from 2000, I think, four until I left um, in 2010. And I wrote script or 11. I wrote scripts during that whole period. And um, that's my my daytime education was at, was at ABC and mostly at General Hospital. Uh, I mentioned in the introduction of the top of the show that you're working on a musical that you'd like to. Uh, the goal is to get it to Broadway. Some soap fans may think that musical theater and soap opera aren't really that closely connected, but I happen to think that they are. So. Why don't you give us a little information about part of the plan? What is it? Who is Dan Fogelberg for the youngsters out there who don't know this? <laughs> well, and we can uh, talk about the Kickstarter campaign. Very, very quickly, right after I left uh, General Hospital, I was having lunch with an acquaintance who said, what are you going to do now? And I said, I'd like to write a play. And she's a, a producer. Eyes lit up, and she said, um, would you like to write a musical? And I said, yes. And she said, do you know who Dan Fogelberg is? And I said, yes. And we agreed to partner on this, and she and I became very, um, uh, uh, very active in in getting the rights, going to Nashville and pitching to Fogelberg's widow, coming back and writing the show, going to New York, going to Chicago, trying to sell it. The show is an original drama covering three decades in the lives of um, of a young boy who's been given up for adoption 
the young girl of privilege who was 16 uh, in 1950 when she got pregnant. Her parents made her give the baby up. And it follows three decades through the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s of their lives as they try to, um, as they try to get uh, um, their, their, as they, try, as they learn to reconnect. So, um, Dan Fogelberg was a very, very wonderful singer-songwriter of the 70s. He was kind of from the, uh, he was kind of from the, um, Eagles, uh, stable. Uh, he was friends with them. Joe Walsh produced his first album. He wrote a number of songs that if you went onto our website, um, Somebody keeps trying to call me. I'm so sorry. If you <laughs> went okay. on to our website, you would uh, see it, which is www.danfogelbergmusical.com. Then um, we would, uh, uh, you would see, you'd be able to hear some of our music and find out about the show. Dan passed away in 2007 from uh, prostate cancer. And his widow is, uh, gave us the rights to his music. We wrote this original story using his music to help tell it. He's a brilliant, diverse singer-songwriter. Um, and what we're doing on Kickstarter is we've, we've gotten a lot of advice. We've written and rewritten the script. And what's happened is we are, um, we are trying to raise money to put on a staged reading and a workshop, possibly more than one staged reading, because the more uh, dates we can do it, um, the more m- potential investors and producers can come and see us. We've had a lot of support from Dan fans. I'm hoping that we get the same kind of support from uh, Soap fans. My little, uh, my suggestion is that if you were a Sunny Brenda fan or a Scrubs fan, who were the other couple I was heavily invested in, um, and Patrick and Robin, now that Robin's coming back to celebrate, that you'll go onto our site and, and kick in a few bucks. Every, every dollar is helpful. Every person that backs us gives us another person we can say, look how many people are behind us. And the most important thing I want to say, and you'll have to cut me off if I'm talking too long, but the most important thing is that I believe that I was able to write this play, my very first play, because of the lessons I learned writing daytime, uh, the how, to, how to create characters that arc, how to, how to deal with um, certain conventions in the genre, how to make love stories that are compelling and, and intersect all the different dramas that happen uh, we've got adoption. We've got um, a lost love. We've got um, uh, boys going off to war to Vietnam, uh, and it's all with the music to support it. It's just such a great treat for me to be able to create something like this. And I'm just hoping that people will be interested enough to to like it and to um, to help us get it to the staged reading. Stage and then to the uh, workshop. If you saw Smash, you know what a workshop is. Stage readings like that, but without all this, the dancing and the moving around. <laughs> <laughs> well, Karen, for me, I knew some of Dan Fogelberg's songs. I didn't necessarily know all of them, but I, I was sort of reacquainted with them. This is really a perfect opportunity for a generation that doesn't know who he is to fall in love with music that, as we're seeing, 2013, it's, it's quite a few years later, shows that the music is timeless. Yes, I think it is. And what we're really trying to do is because there are people like you who remember the name but aren't, and maybe one or two songs, but don't realize the extent of the songs he wrote and the hits. He had 20 top 10 records or top 20 records and, and 13 albums. 
Um, and he has a very, very big following, even in death. I mean, people just adored. He's, he's kind of a, um, a guru, and they say he, he scored their lives. And the L.A. Times once said that uh, Dan Fogelberg was responsible for more unplanned pregnancies than any other musician of his day, <laughs> which I thought was great. Um, but, <laughs> but, so we want to, we want to appeal to people who knew who he was, but don't necessarily remember the, the contributions he made to our, our growing up days. The younger generation that's never heard of him that we would love to be, to, to make familiar with his music, because I think it's timeless. And um, and to the diehard fans who just are really want to hear his music in whatever form they can get it. I mean, there's there's a tribute album coming out, one at least one, possibly two. And um, so I think he's going to become. There's going to be a resurgence of people who are aware of Dan. But I'm I'm stunned at the number of people who I'm close to who've turned around and said, "Oh my God, he was my favorite." And I think this is you know I didn't know that when when I started this project. I just knew he was so talented and and. So uh, um, his music is so evocative. His lyrics are so evocative. Each one would be a play in them. Each song could be a play in and of itself. But we decided to do an original piece that we create and use his music to um, to uh, tell the, help to help us tell the story. For me, the best known Dan Fogelberg song that I know is "Leader of the Band." It's something that uh, I, I know the lyrics. I, I'm singing them in my head. I won't sing them out loud because <laughs> that might might not encourage people to help the Kickstarter campaign. But there are five days left. The link to go to the Kickstarter campaign is on our Twitter page at Soap Central. It's on Facebook. We also have it on our official show page at SoapCentral.com/radio. $36,455 of the $50,000 goal has been made. That's been the donation so far. So there's a little bit of a ways to go in that five days. So uh, we're, uh, we're really building a momentum, and I'm hoping that your listeners will jump on and see what they want to do. $5, $10, every, everything helps. And we have some great um, goodies. We have great goodies if, at, at, at every level of donation. So uh, I'm hoping that people will say, oh, I want that T-shirt, or I want that mug, or... Give me the artwork. And as an added, as we're, we're ticking down here, so we only have a couple of minutes left, but as an added bonus, if the goal is reached, five days, Karen has promised to come back. She will take your calls. She'll talk a little bit about her experiences of writing a soap, not anything that she can't share, but the process to help us get familiar with what goes on in the world of soaps. I think that that I would, is an invaluable gift. I would love to. I actually taught a master soap class online at one point and- and my student was Jamie Giddens, one of my students, <laughs> which I thought was, he was a great student. He's a good writer. But yeah, I love, I love talking about the process of, of writing and especially writing soaps because it is so unique. And I will come back only if we meet our, meet our goal. So. Well, there's an incentive, everybody. And, <laughs> and with I'll that, talk it's... about the primetime soap that I'm in the process of developing right now. See, these are all the reasons that people can do it. But unfortunately, everybody, that's going to wrap up this first episode of September. I'd like to thank my guest this week, Richard Sims, the executive editor of Soaps in Depth magazine, and Karen Harris. Karen, thank you so much for dropping by. Thank you, Dan, and thanks to all your listeners. Check us out. 
out there, if you've missed anything during the show, any of the links that we've talked about or any of the information, head over to SoapCentral.com slash radio. You'll have all of the information there. You can also check out our official Twitter page, at SoapCentral. In addition, all of the previous episodes of Soap Central Live are available on demand for free, so you can listen to them anytime you want. You can learn about some actors or shows that you may not be familiar with. It's a great way to celebrate your love of soaps. Coming up in the weeks ahead on September 20th, General Hospital vet Lindsay Moore. Morgan will be here to talk about her new web series, Destroy the Alpha Gammas. Jerry Verdorn will be back on October 3rd. And before that, next week, it's Friday, September 13th. It's going to be a spooky episode. I'm not entirely sure what sort of ghostly shenanigans will be going on on the show, but I hope that you can join us then next Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, for the continuing saga of Soap Central Live. Have a great week, everybody. Join us next time for the continuing story of all your favorite soaps. Tune in next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of Soap Central Live on the Voice America Variety Channel.